Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Dewing Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, they can offer you the best strategies to achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Each week on our podcast, we begin with the market report, giving you up-to-date information and analysis, followed by the farm chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues with a guest or two. So let's start with Andrew Dewing for this week's market report. And don't forget, you can always check current market prices on the homepage of our website, dewinggrain.co.uk. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market Report for week commencing 4th of March 2024. So it's March. Beware the Ides of March. What should we start with? Let's start with Orchard Rape because that always cheers us up. It is spot value 330, harvest value 340. Yeah, I took a photo on the podcast walk yesterday of a very sad and sorry looking field of Orchard Rape trying its hardest to grow. I'll put it on our socials, get someone to put it on our socials, just pretending I'm trendy there for a moment, just to show you just how crap the crop is. And yeah, you know my feelings on it at the moment. We need an alternative, don't we? Moving on, let's talk about cluster market of malting barley. At the moment, there is a reduction in demand for beer. There is a reduction in usage. The malsters are dragging their feet with moving grain and their consumption is lower than anticipated, which is creating a backlog, which is creating a lack of buyers. It is in a muddle at this point. We need hot, sunny weather and some sort of football tournament to help things along. So it's difficult to give a price on old crop. I mean, theoretically, commodities that are required, there are people who are short, there are rejections occurring here and there. So there will be some market, but at this precise second, I think you're chasing your tail if you're forcing someone to give you a price. Harvest values are lower as well. The whole mood is wrong. But at this precise moment, with the weather doing what it's doing, because we haven't planted the crop yet, and the weather forecast might look good at the moment, but we've had that on several occasions during the winter. So wettest February on record, following the wettest January on record, following the wettest winter on record might turn sunny for a day or two but there's snow forecast or cold weather later in the month it's not going to be plain sailing so i think there's a few nerves jangling in that the french malting barley crop optimum planting date is february the 14th and every day after then they lose yield 40 kilos a day or something somebody quoted that being the case they haven't got lots of the crop in and consequently the fob market has increased about 10 euros so there is life in the old girl yet Not enough to make you that excited, but it is a clear indication that it isn't all plain sailing for next harvest either. The weather is continuously misbehaving. Let's move on to feed barley, 132x. Can't see light at the end of the tunnel. It's a rubbish price. It's going to stay a rubbish price. Can't see it going down any lower. Harvest value is about 130, so there's not a lot to lose if you don't sell it. And 140 for nov, so you'll get 10 quid more if you don't sell it, and you can keep it. Obviously taking into account interest, that isn't necessarily going to make you anything, but it's kind of reassuring that you aren't going to lose your shirt anymore at this moment if you decide to hang on. Upbeat enough for you yet, anybody? No? Okay. The little talk we have today is we try really hard to be upbeat. I think Webby cracks a joke, which is quite funny. So we didn't expect him to. We were supposed to be growing up and talking about stuff, and we got to him, and he just decided to tell a joke. Which is there you go. That's the kind of the measure of the man. He's a, you know always looking to cheer you up. 
Anyway, so it's the full squad of Joe, Ben, Webby, Josh, myself, and we discuss a number of items in the market and just sort of an update on where we're at. But it is a genuine attempt to be cheerful in a time when it just feels pretty grim. So let's move back into commodity prices. Now I've gone off on a tangent. So feed wheat, what do we do with feed wheat? First things first, you, you know, you listen to this with hopefully a view coming out of it, what happens next. I think, you know, I've, I've given you the view, I'd rate, but I can't be bothered to give you a view, it's just like... But malting barley, I think there'll be a better day for old crop. I think at the moment it's moving up on new crop because of the planting problems, so I would stick with that view. Feed barley, I don't think can go any lower. I think that we've seen the bottom of feed barley on old crop. New crop, don't know. It's an okay price compared with this year, but it's a rubbish price. It doesn't feel like it's got much downside movement, in my opinion. So feed wheat has had a recovery of sorts. It's, you know, the lowest on the on the futures was 158. It bounced up a tenner. It's now only about five pounds above that. It's still going sideways to, you know, well, it's going sideways. So it has bounced off the bottom. Is it going to go lower again? In my opinion, at this moment, yes. I think in the short term, potentially, there is still negativity and a problem coming. There is a bit of wheat beginning to move. We've got futures wheat beginning to move out of this, the most westerly store we've got, which is a little bit exciting. You know, it's clearly some hauliers are doing the rate very cheaply up north. There's a £20 premium drensus, and, you know, all points heading towards that are pretty hefty haulage because it's not very much fun driving out of Norfolk to get up there. But there's clearly some hauliers desperate for work, and it's beginning to move, and there's more than one company doing it. So that is a little exciting. But, and I took a picture of some grain coming into the site here at Aylsham. We have had to put a lot of our book for the Feb, March, April period into store because we weren't selling to consumers at futures price because we could make futures price out of our own stores and we saved ourselves lots of haulage in the process. So there's going to be a tender coming in May which will have all the people who finance stuff north through to May. It'll have us with some fresh stuff. And I'm pretty confident there's some other hefty lumps going to head into the market because there is fundamentally a problem with too much supply and not everybody can carry it. The problem will come when there are certain stores have to be emptied and there'll be a lack of understanding, even with a £25 carry, why the storekeeper doesn't buy it back. If a cooperative store needs to have an empty silo to accommodate the coming harvest, it has to be an empty silo. You can't alter that. So please understand that. Anyone who thinks we're idiots for not buying it back, we can't. Some places genuinely have to be emptied. So values for feed wheat currently 155 for March, 160 for June. So somewhere between those two months, you can make up a price. Probably 62 for July, maybe 63 is the value. If you look at harvest value, same as the July value, 162. So you won't lose anything if you don't manage to hit the... So it's kind of like new crop is saving the day. It's stopping the rot, if you like. Of all of the things, I'm slightly nervous about the new crop price because I'm aware of some already some import trades done for the new crop. Like they could get cash settled out if there's a profit in them, but they're there. And there's some corn already been agreed to be brought in the new season as well, which is going to add to our supply. The minute feed wheat crop that's coming up north and many areas that are underwater at the moment are telling us there's not going to be a harvest. There will be a harvest. There will be about 10.5 million, 11 million tonnes, even without all those fields not growing. And if you add into that imports, and then you add into that the amount that's going to be carried, and there will be a big carry 
you know, one and a half million is about the stretch that we've done in the past. And I think possibly there'll be another half million tons on top of that. If that's true, you add the carryover and the corn and the wheat that's already been traded to come into the country on top of the production, we've got enough wheat, and which in the long run is going to undermine those prices. So I am nervous about the feed wheat market price for new crop on the basis of we're going to solve the problem. It is saving the day for old crop at the moment, and it's going to continue at the moment as a good carry. But once we've made or taken the action to carry it into new crop, there will be enough. And at which point, if there is enough, and we're still a premium to French and not able to export anything, we'll be back to square one with our prices. And I suspect they could come under immense pressure. So just be conscious of that. You're not under pressure on that at the moment, but you could be. So forward values, November, you would get 172x, which is 10 quid more than the July price. So there is a value in it for you to carry it. But unlike this season and history, if you decide to carry it, for goodness sake, sell the forward price. Don't just go, oh, I'll make more by keeping it. Make the trade because it actually then justifies the action. Okay, so that's the the market. I see short term probably old crop wheat a bit lower and new crop will probably mirror that. That's my view. It's dancing sideways at the moment, so there's not going to be a lot in it. So reason to be cheerful, full squad chat. The podcast walk yesterday was wet. It was Stephen Ashford Ray Carnley turned up. It was the second time he's turned up. Last year he turned up and it snowed. So whether rain is an improvement on snow, I don't know. Whether he's the maybe we get to a drought period and we make sure that Stephen comes on the walk and we'll get soaking wet again. That might be a tactic. So Ben, Stephen and I walked on the old railway line from Reefham in a circuit. Instantly, this it's a fascinating piece of engineering by a chap called George Marriott, but in the 1800s. And it's a railway line that basically comes from Norwich and then goes in a great big loop and goes back to Norwich again. It's a very strange thing. But when we tracked our walk, it creates a very outstanding uh, image of a rocket. That's what we'll say. And it was just funny. When we put that on the screen, see how many miles we'd done, which is about seven miles. This image came up and it caused great amusement, you know, because we find rockets very funny. Yeah, that was uh, wet, but the last 20 minutes of that walk was as heavy a rain as I've walked in, and it was just miserable. So we got soaking wet, and that's the third wet podcast walk out of 12. It was, yeah, miserably cold at the end of that, so there you go. Anyway, with that, thank you for listening, and have a very lovely week. It's going to turn sunny soon, I sense it. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. Attention all farmers and consumers. It's time to chuck on the wellies and join us for our podcast walk around our beautiful Norfolk countryside. Our walks are a great way to network, share insights and just have a good old yarn. As an added bonus, there is normally a nice pub at the end with the opportunity for a beer or coffee. To stay up to date with our upcoming walks, head over to our Instagram page or check the news section on our website so that you don't miss out. Now, let's head back to the farm chat. This week, I've got the full squad, Ben, Joe, Webby, Josh and myself, and we've got one microphone that's broken, so uh, we're going to have to share a mic, so there'll be a bit of squabbling going on. In terms of topics, there's a number of things we need to talk about, but I'm going to hand over to each and every one of you for a different subject, so I'll go straight firstly to Josh. 
Yeah, no, we're probably going to start talking off this week about the state of the seed trade. I know it's not specifically what I'm into these days, but it does seem as if that there are some farmers out there that probably could be potentially getting varieties from other parts of the world that aren't recommended for the UK, that aren't great for malting, and also I think that some of the treatments they've got on. Right, so I'm aware of a farmer who had a delivery of some completely spurious variety from Czechoslovakia with some dog-turd treatment that's not allowed in this country on it, and it's all okay because if it's not treated in this country, you can import what the hell you like, some sort of loophole, and more importantly, the firm who sold on the seed said, here, grow this, it's just as good as all the others. Is is that about the gist of it? The feedback was that um, someone was, yeah, we haven't got this, so we give you this, and it'll grow brilliant but can you sell it that wasn't answered point being that's totally irresponsible moronic behavior and if anyone in this industry has a clear conscience or they're that uneducated or just you know that young i don't know maybe they're just a graduate trainee but the point is it's criminal to have someone in a distilling malting valley area with a very big premium expecting to get laureate getting some sort of dodgy second hand we couldn't do that so have this moment it was certified in Czechoslovakia. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's also the point going on to the seed treatments, is that as of January this year, if a seed was treated in Czechoslovakia, wherever, with a substance that's banned in the UK, as long as it's registered in the UK somewhere along the line, they are allowed to process it. So, does that lead to near nicks on winter cereals? Yeah, so what we're kind of saying there is that, in theory, Joe, a farmer, could use oilseed rapeseed from the continent treated with neonic on the seed in the UK because neonic is registered in the UK because it's used on sugar beet. Yeah, well, Redigo Deter was one that was said that it was banned. So, But there's obviously a technical loophole there somewhere, which is, yeah, whether or not stuff's actually... People know that there's stuff coming in that has been banned many many years ago but it's being used and brought in all right being grown-ups we're not going to try this but i just wonder if there is a loophole if that's the case that's quite scary isn't it bumper or seed rape crop something's got to save it it's not worth growing otherwise is it well yeah just levels the playing field and i know i appreciate yeah being grown up is there a loophole sadly with lots of this brexit legislation that i don't think the government understands and certainly border control doesn't understand we're getting loopholes. There you go. Okay, what's the next subject? Farmer protests? Have we gone to that one yet? The only thing I had in my head was a joke. I was thinking about a joke I had on the weekend. Am I like, is it too soon for that? We had a really enjoyable weekend. We had we were at the rugby club, wasn't it? Walsham Rugby Club, really good fun. Quite a few farmers, it's great. Well, one of my favourite farmers was there on the same table as me, actually. Really, like, lovely guy, quite kind of, I wouldn't say reserved, but just, like, really well mannered and and anyway the chairman stood up said his word and he's very much the game he's like blimey it's mm." and i don't know if i should use word got a big piece on him basically is what he said and then all of a sudden the guy flushed up and thought well okay but anyway the chairman then steamed in and he said yeah well uh so and so's wife the other day said she wanted to have a boob job and anyway the farmer said well yeah i'm not i'm not so sure about that how about try rubbing toilet paper between you breasts you know your cleavage and the wife said well i'm not sure how's that going to work so the farmer's response was well it's worked on your bum <laughs> it's a bit early for a joke isn't it <laughs> <laughs> 
I love the fact that Webby's been sitting there quietly, and that's <laughs> all he's wanted to say. I've, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you this, whether you want to hear it or not. And the other thing is, you know, Webby, yeah, you do like a big piece, don't you? A big pipe. Right. <laughs> farmer protests. I want to talk about them. There's been a, an attempt in the UK to have some farmer protests. I personally think there is several reasons why you need to make your point about unlevel playing field and a number of other things in our industry. The question is, why or what does it take to get farmers in the UK to revolt like the rest of the continent are? Why is it not happening? I don't know. I think there's probably pockets of it, obviously. There's pockets of revolts, isn't there? There's some in Kent, there's some in Devon or wherever there were in Wales, but I don't know why we're not seeing mass in Norfolk or Suffolk. Well, the Welsh are up to it because they're quite... Drakeford has said 10% of perfectly good land goes into trees and 10% goes for, you know, not to be farmed. And he's like broad sweep across the whole country. If you've got a, a very viable piece of land with a very expensive agricultural land, one, you're diminishing the value of it, and two, you're taking away the really good productive land, which is kind of nuts. There's a logic to it that only belongs in a city, as far as I can see. Yeah, and actually, on that point, today, unbelievably, the UK hit its carbon target Right, hang on. No, this is hilarious. So, yeah, the UK has reduced its carbon footprint over the last five years. Do you know why we achieved it, going around the room? Because we import everything and count the carbon elsewhere? No, it's because of lockdown. Our carbon emissions, and bearing in mind farming carried on over lockdown, so you can't just blame agriculture for carbon. It's everything else. So the the Carbon Commission in the UK have said, you know... This is ridiculous, the fact that we hit it during lockdown, or lockdown brought the five-year average below where we need to be, but we seem to be targeting farming. It's just a complete joke. Okay, so we get back to reasons to be revolting. If you're Welsh, I can see why you're revolting. The reason you are actually revolting against the government as well is, like, you know, there's no logic to the thinking, and within the UK... Now, this is controversial. I might as well say it. Is it because if you had an individual caught on camera with his tractor stopping everything on the M25 and they then explored that individual's personal wealth, would that undermine his argument? Because you'd have the man in the street, it would work against you. You've got a load of kind of guys who are dressed in overalls in France who've got 20 acres. They can say, well, I've not got any money. Is it about that? Please listen to this logically, farmers. What is it that's going to make you, or what's the best way for you to make your point with this government and probably the next one? I mean, the the guy in Wales is Labour. So if their thinking is going to be along the same lines as that, if they did that to the UK, just can you imagine? It doesn't make any logical sense. It would have a massive impact on the whole of rural economy, everything, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think this is a pretty tricky subject to talk around, isn't it? By nature, I see your point, that a lot of the French farmers, this is why the carts work, is because by nature they're a smaller farming base or platform, the scale of their operations. And let's take Norfolk, the farmers are getting bigger and bigger, aren't they? Or farms are. All right, I'll put it another way around. Let's just say I found a reason to be pissed off and wanted to be revolting, or even more revolting. And I said, OK, I resent... Foreign firms having a management fee they take out of their basic profits and send it to another country, thus avoiding tax in the UK. Let's say I think that's completely wrong because all of the tax paid by my company and all my employees and me is paid in this country. So we are contributing towards mending potholes or whatever. 
there I go, I go and do something revolting. Let's say I drive my car somewhere and park it and stop everybody getting somewhere. And then someone's going to scrutinise me and go, look, yeah, how much does he earn? What's he got? Where's he live? And it'd be like lots of people would go, well, you know, he lives in a council house in Stokesby, he ain't doing too well. But the point is that the argument, it's like Angela Rayner being pulled to pieces for having a council house and selling it. The Tories are going after her to try and make her look bad, despite all of the tax cheating that we will be quiet about from Michelle Moan. How someone interprets what someone's doing, I don't think the media in this country would be fair. I think they're so uninformed and so lazy in their journalism. And I think the police would, they certainly reacted much, much more diligently, let's put it that way, in Kent when there was a bit of a revolt down there where they started arguing about the food coming in without being checked and all the sorts of diseases we're allowing across the border. There's a good reason to revolt, but the police were totally and utterly aggressive and very, very prominent in their action. So it's kind of, it's a very dodgy piece of ground, isn't it? I think the delivering message, sometimes in the media you see a farmer dressed in tweed, wearing a tie or something, trying to deliver a message of something, and it never, the public won't see someone with grubby hands and a boiler suit. That will be a harder or better received message, won't it? It's a bias, isn't it? It's a natural bias. Well, that's just reinforced by Jeremy Clarkson, isn't it, unfortunately? You know, a number of other people, Harry, Harry's Farm, etc. a lot of people that are involved in farming, obviously, on some end is being publicised or put in the media and the interpretation is that there's you know huge amounts of wealth in across all farming which skews the understanding or skews the perception so that's that's a very starting on a difficult situation to start with but fundamentally you know we should be looking at what food security we've got how the whole system is set up why we continue to allow it to happen yeah farms don't need to protest because eventually something will happen in the food security chain where people will go, hang on a minute, why is my food so expensive? Why can't I get food? That will cause the knock-on effect. So actually, do farmers need to protest? Probably not. They just keep farming and doing what they do. I agree the playing field is unlevel uh, in terms of imports and what's going on and loopholes. But should we have another food security scare... I think the shockwave of that will mean that you'll have the public protesting about, hang on a minute, what have we done to our domestic food system that we are now in this state of affairs? And that's more serious. I think that they could, I kind of think they could kind of protest because otherwise there are people at Harry's Farm, like Joe alluded to, who's really good at putting his message across to people. Genuinely, anyone that doesn't know him, worth it, watch his YouTube channel. He puts it in a very simple language. But his trouble is getting his message out there is he's just a YouTuber. I mean, he's a very successful one, but still, not everyone's going to watch it. If you did a mass protest, I think it would kind of focus people's minds somewhat. And you'd get a lot of stick, for sure, but you'd also probably get quite a few people to go, oh, I didn't realise that was a problem. Yeah, I mean, going back to Ben's point about, you know, yes, it's all going to come round because there is going to be a crisis. It kind of, you get blamed for the crisis as well, let's face it, if you're a farmer. I think that there is a developing crisis in the sense that Clearly, farm incomes are going to drop quite dramatically in the next few months. We've got a price collapse on wheat, which is the cornerstone crop. And a lot of people have not sold everything, and a lot of people have sold very little. And the impact on those farms is going to be £60, £70 per tonne, which is hundreds of pounds per acre. And there's no kind of particular rule about how you sell your grain. And 
I'm not going to go for any cheap wins on, say, sell it to us, because we've got people who haven't sold it as well. There is a problem coming, because that's going to lead on to another point I'm going to make in a minute about the Ukrainian farmers. But the dynamic of the price of wheat being 150-odd pounds per tonne is definitely below the cost of production. How many years can they cope with that? And we are looking at below cost of the production for next year as we speak, especially with the potential yields. Which moves on to that we retweeted a thing that came out today from someone made a very articulate argument about the Ukrainian farmers because they've taken, and we've, we've said, look, there's lots of Ukrainian wheat seeped into Europe, which has undermined our markets. That's not blaming a Ukrainian farmer, let's be clear about that. That's just taking the practicality of you bring cheap grain into an area, it undermines the value for everybody else. A thing on Twitter, on X, sorry, by Rory Deverell, was intensely fairly argued out that in fact the Ukrainian farmers receiving you know a hundred dollars a ton if that for the product he's not making a profit out of it. he's got a very limited market and blaming them for the particular issue is really with the benefit you've had of the prices that have been well above cost of production for a long period of time leading up to this point don't point the finger at them with your disappointment be maybe critical of yourself and a number of other observations that he makes is, is as I say it's on x I think doing grain retweeted it do you want me to reread it? I think we're allowed to if we quote Rory for his words. So, and I won't go completely word for word. So he said, There is a lot of Ukrainian farmer bashing going on currently. Here are my thoughts. So, point number one Ukrainian farmers, in some cases, are receiving less than $100 a tonne for their corn. They receive the lowest grain prices in the world in the most challenging conditions. I challenge any farmer anywhere else to choose to swap places with them. Number two. If there was no war, even more grain would flow from there. That's a fair comment. Point number three, current price falls have almost nothing to do with Ukraine. It's all to do with, I won't use that word that you used there, poor demand, large South American and Russian crops, and a large US corn stock, followed by record yields. Point number four, farmers are blaming Ukraine just because they got greedy and missed the boat with crappy or non-existent marketing plans. It is not a Ukrainian farmer's fault. Again, that's a brutal point, but yeah, fairly made. Number five, blocking Ukrainian exports now only defers the problem to new crop when there will be even more pressure. The long-term solution is allow Ukraine to get its grain into the bellies of pigs in Asia, so it's gone for good. And the last point that he's made here is number six. Ask yourself the hard question, am I scapegoating Ukraine because I was ill-informed and didn't sell? Or I got greedy and didn't sell. The real answer as to why you own expensive grain today is one of these two. Not the Ukraine or anyone else. Thankfully, if you're humble, accept where you went wrong and you can fix the problems by getting better advice and being more open-minded. I'll just add that Rory hasn't got any direct farmer customers, so he, uh, he, <laughs> he can come out with stuff like that. I take that as a criticism as well, because we've not sold everything. We've done, you know, we've hit it as hard as we dare but you've still got five or six months to go, and you've also got the weather for this spring to occur, which, you know, as we all know, extreme heat wave in April would turn everything on its head. So it's difficult, you know, it's, it's not as straightforward as that, and the season isn't over yet. Well, and the other thing I would add to that is, if there was no war, the grain wouldn't be going through Europe anyway. It'd be leaving via the deep sea ports on Panamaxes, not going into Europe. So that's a bit of a moot point. And also... I'm pretty sure 
And I agree, it is very, very tough for Ukrainian for 100%, and you wouldn't want to swap places with them. But I'm pretty sure they are getting huge amounts of subsidised fuel and fertiliser in order to keep producing and keep their costs very low. So yes, they're getting cheap prices, but I think via the various aid that we are, the world are giving them, that they are able to keep their cost of production down, which is a help to them. So I just think a couple of points. But you can't get away from the fundamental fact that there is just at the moment ample stocks and a very limited tight demand. Demand is the destruction point of this market. Yeah, nobody's drinking enough beer, that's a fact, because the molsters are really behind with taking their barleys and we're getting a backlog of people who want to get stuff moved and you just can't make them take it. That is an issue. If anything from this podcast, go down the pub and have 10 pints and get someone else to drive you home is my suggestion. I can do that because I've got the heart of an 18-year-old. And, Ian, they didn't put their finger at my bottom, Okay. Was the 18-year-old conscious while you cut their heart out? <laughs> right, I had my health check yesterday, 40... Well, I'm older than 45, but, it, well, you know, and, uh, yeah, it came out well. In fact, I think the nurse was like, you know, if I was 10 years younger, I'd have you on the old examination bed. Good job they didn't judge you by the book, did they? The cover on the book, Jesus. <laughs> Put you, Christ, you're about 10 years out of day. <laughs> Does that mean you have to get a health check over 40? Because haven't you just turned 40 something, Bobby? Yeah, I am. Yeah, 40 on the nose, yeah. But I'm like prime athlete. I'm fine. Prime beef. (laughs) Sorry, prime athlete, right? I'm pretty sure your lunch today was a cheese and potato turnover, a bag of French fries. Your breakfast drink was a San Pellegrino, which was quite impressive. He had a Coke Zero. He was really conscientious of that sugar intake. Hang on, you only <laughs> you only booked into this like service checkover because we talked about this last week about how you get your fingers put up your bottom. That's the only reason why you booked in, and you were just so disappointed when you walked back in afterwards. You're like, no, did you get it? No. <laughs> At least I was walking normally. <laughs> anyway, get your health check done, Webby, because I'd be fascinated to sit in on that one. <laughs> Mr. Webster, how old are you? 40. I don't think so. (laughs) So leading on to unhealthy types, the American presidential election recently has taken a turn for the more amusing, hasn't it? What, Donald Trump's trainers? or I mean, you know, they're $400 gold trainers. So I think Dewey Grain should do some gold trainers. I know that Donald Trump's wrong on every level, but he is quite funny sometimes. When he came on and he said, the other guy, he's always pointing but he's always pointing in the wrong direction. <laughs> and he wanders off and doesn't know where the stairs are to leave. <laughs> it's like, the sad truth is, it's playground, bully humour. And it works, it makes you laugh because you're actually pointing at Joe Biden going, yeah, the guy is it clearly, I mean, whether we're just seeing little limited clips only, and there's never any ones where he's actually walking and talking normally, but largely, he keeps blundering, doesn't he? I mean, it's not just me saying that. He doesn't look in great shape. There's some, I mean, fairly bad snippets of him on social media. They just don't look great. But something interesting I heard was that when Roosevelt was president and he was in his late 70s or 80s, he spent most of his presidency in a wheelchair and the American public didn't even know he was in a wheelchair because obviously there wasn't any press. But he actually couldn't even physically walk and he was president. So, you know, Joe's got a way to go yet. That's the Americans for you. I doubt we have got any American listeners, have we? If you're an American and you listen to our podcast, please let us know. We're mightily impressed with your staying power. What about our elections? Should we have a little bit of politics on that? How are we getting on with that one? 
Angela Rain is getting ripped to pieces, as I mentioned earlier. Who else? Kia, he's kind of like plasticky. Yeah, apparently he met like a record amount of, not near record amount of leaders in the last Munich thing. I was listening to that on the podcast, on another podcast earlier. He's met lots of people. But is he going to be interesting enough for anyone to really care? Is he going to make farmers have 10% of their perfect arable land be trees? I, you know, Labour Party policy, maybe. I, I get bashed for being a Tory basher, but that's only because they've ruined our country. Is this guy going to save it? And the other lot, the middle lot, the orange lot, is, what's his name, Simon? I don't remember his name, no. Simons, is it Simons? Ed Davey. Ed Davey. Yeah. Is just not on the pitch, not not anywhere. And we got the jocks upset last week with the speaker because he kind of ignored them, didn't he? He went, oh, we won't bother with that. Under the guise of I want to save people's lives. But, you know, we're in a right muddle, aren't we? I don't think anyone's going to turn up to bother to vote, are they? I don't know, are they? Who do you vote for? Sorry, I was just going to come back to you. So the politics point is interesting, but obviously we watched that video of those farms in Brussels when they charged the riot police. And they just, you know, they were so well organised, these farmers, they pushed all the barriers out of the way. Then the police turned on the water cannon and the farmer just raised his bucket and deflected the water away and just carried on driving at them. And then they just set fire to a load of tyres and then they sprayed a load of police with manure all outside the Brussels Parliament. And I saw a video today and Brussels is, a, I mean, the streets are like a shit show. They've really done a number there and they're still carrying on. So, you know... You didn't have to do a lot to Brussels anyway to make it a shithole. <laughs> One of the worst places I've ever went to for a boss. Yeah. Almost got pickpocketed at like four in the morning. You are a mugger's wet dream with that Chelsea life jacket though, aren't you? <laughs> Whatever that is. Okay, so we've touched on politics. Everybody happy? Are we going to have a beer today? Because we've got an array of beers that Nick Hood brought in. Some of these beers are good. They are... We're going to, well, Josh is going to open an incredibly strong one, 10%. I really want to try this, what is this, Delirium, Belgium Strong Beer. I've heard this is really good, but you don't want to drink too much of it. 10% trading afternoon. <laughs> Very lovely beers, I'm quite certain, but they're going to be pretty hefty, aren't they? I'm with Ben, I'm all for it, Nick. I think these are really good, actually. And there's a fruity one, if anyone wants to try that. That's in the other room, isn't it? You know, we all think of fruity beers, don't we? Right, so Ben, you be first. You drink your Delirium. Go on, have a little sip. Be delirious. Okay. What have I got? Hang Let's on. Let's that go. Fruity. Right. The, so the delirium at 8%, that is a nice beer. Very strong. Probably don't want more than half a pint. That's okay. Joe's got himself a little children's tropical flavoured IPA. Tiny Rebel. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> it's a tropical IPA. Or Tropica. It's in a very colourful can. And it's a 5%. I haven't tried it yet. I'll pass you over. Hang on. Right, I've been given the Vimto. It's called Fruly. Fruly, Fruly. This has got an umlaut on the U, so I don't know how you pronounce that. Anyway, premium strawberry beer. You know my thoughts about strawberry beer. It tastes like a fruit drink. Ooh, thank you very much. Does anyone remember the old drink called Quattro that was in a can? It's sort of, this is going back sort of like the... Early 90s. You mean Lilt? No, no, no. Like Lilt, but it's called Quattro. And this tropical sort of beer smells just like that. I'm too old to drink kids' drinks in the 90s. Yeah, I mean, I look, I've, I've enjoyed that one. Thank you, Nick, by the way. Well, Andrew's going for more of the Ribena beer. Josh, what have you got? A St. Burdus, which is a... Uh, Rocket fuel. Which is 10%, yeah. 
<laughs> it looks pretty black, but I mean, sure, it'll be fine. <laughs> looks like the coffee that Harry makes before he puts the rotten milk in it. Yeah. Maybe have you got one or are you off beer at the moment? What's your opinion on it? That's all right, it's a beer. He did a terrible job, and I just had it, it was mostly head, but um, yeah, that's right. I was going to open the um, the Panther, but I've had that so many times, and that is a good beer, so it's a bit safe. So I might try this Duvel. Is it Duvel? Yeah. We're sharing this mic. We're trying to not knock bottles over at the same time. Obviously, tomorrow's podcast warp, which is too late for this recording. You know, no one's going to know whether it's good or bad. But the forecast, having had three days of dry, it's rain, which would be good. Just walked 200 yards ago in the cafe, I think, or walked down to the pub. But, yeah, I wonder if I'm... Like... <laughs> That's a classic. So after having, <laughs> so after Ian had a go at me for pouring a beer with too much head, I'm now sitting in front of a glass that's almost a hundred percent head. So yeah, well done, Webby. Yeah, that is quite heavy head. I accept. <laughs> not a lot of beer. I mean, I've got three quarters of a glass of head, and yeah. I'm not surprised. You poured it like an absolute wally. Right, we're back to drinking beer today because we're kind of fed up. Market's come all the way down. It's tried to bounce. It's now going sort of sideways to down again. We've tried to be cheerful and we've touched on politics bravely. We've been rude about people, farmers revolting and kind of, yes, yeah, very much what we'd like to happen next is I think we need we need that sun to shine like it's forecast. There's some serious optimism on the forecast. Let's hope that comes true. And I think the whole mood of everybody we're trying to trade with should improve, shouldn't it? That's what I would expect. And we won't hear very much from them either. I did see somebody drilling something today. They were out and about drilling near, so they must be thinking about it. Although saying that, I went for a walk with a dog and I still could not believe how full like all the ditches were. And actually, if you talk about one of our sort of customers that we trade with, they, on an average year of the last 10 years, had 640 mil of rain or something. Year to date was over a metre. So it's a metre 1,040 or something year to date as of yesterday. Yeah, so optimistic about we're going for sunny weather for a good period. And that, is that the start of the heat wave? Joe, you're our weatherman. Yeah, I don't know about that. No. Sorry, bring up bad news. Yeah, it's just going to stay unsettled, I think. Is it going to snow? Possibly. Yeah. No, no, there is. There's, you know, there's a fair chance in March, there's a decent chance that we'll have cold weather and a bit of snow here and there. Whether or not it'd hang around, I don't know. You know, yeah, forecast does suggest here and there, a bit of cold, especially in the north, coming down the east. There you go. He's coming next week. That's definitely a blistering hot March, the <laughs> heat wave. According to my surf app, there is a big, I mean, quite a long way off. It's next it's the Tuesday, the 12th onwards. There's a really strong easterly coming through, which is about 35 miles an hour, and there is potential for some snow. So, Joe and Josh are predicting snow week commencing the 12th. In the meantime, you can get your spring barley in, and then it'll get snow cover. So I think with that happy thought, we're happy to sign off with a difficult time and one mic. I must get a new cable for that other one. All right, thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get updates on new episodes and follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We are at Dewing Grain. Alternatively, you can call us on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk. 